Welcome to the Blue Collar Nation podcast, the podcast dedicated to making the lives of home service professionals better. Now join Eric and Larry to talk about all things home service. Well, hello, everybody. This is Larry from the Blue Collar Nation podcast. And I'm here with my debilitated business partner, the tech whisperer, Mr. Eric Sprague. What's happening, Eric? How are you today? All right. Normally, I would fight you, but you you, you hit me where it hurt. I am de- debilitated this week. That is for sure. Way debilitated. He's been a little ill, under the weather a lot. So let's hope it's short term, because if it's like last time, I'm going to like boycott visiting you anytime for the next six months. No. <laughs> oh, that's all I have to do? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> all you gotta do, and you'll be safe. Well, I, be I will set. not fight you on that. I I basically just got out of bed for this show, and um, I've been sick for like 10, 12 days or whatever it is. And uh, yeah. the the topic today is very timely because how I got sick has a lot to do with the book. So good, uh, good, good, good. So well, thanks we will for, get to thanks this. for hitting me when I'm down, you a-hole. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Kick you. That's what the uh, the entertainment comes along with the show. So anyway, we have a sponsor today. Why don't you run that sponsor clip real quick, Eric? All right. And now a quick message from our title sponsor, Supertech University. Did you know 85% of financial success comes from soft skills abilities and only 15% from our technical abilities? SuperTech U was created by longtime restoration pros Eric Sprague and Larry Wilberton. Their daily three to five minute videos train your entire company on the soft skills they need to make your business thrive. Plus, your entire team earns IICRC CEC credits, all for about the cost of one tank of gas. To get more information about SuperTech University and receive a special six lesson e-course on in-home sales, Go to supertechu.com backslash podcast offer. Again, get your free in-home sales training at supertechu.com backslash podcast offer. Okay, we're back to the show. And we are having an amazing book club episode again with Chris Nordyke and Brandon Reese. We're very excited to have the Floodlight guys with us hosts of the head heart and boot podcast how are you guys today oh i'm psyched actually totally good yeah, yeah. i'm ready to get yeah, into your this energy one. your energy shows yeah we're, yeah, we're yeah, yeah you're feeling yeah. it huh? larry i i have this just i have this distinct <laughs> i have this distinct feeling just by looking at these two that we're in on the hot seat today <laughs> oh yeah good. that's right we can handle it so the book we're going over is who not how it's one of dan sullivan's and how do you pronounce i was trying to pronounce the other name it's um benjamin hardy benjamin hardy there you go that shouldn't be that hard no that Um, that was the quintessential uh buy yourself another 10 seconds so you can look his name up yeah i was like uh we know what you did there larry we do it all the time you can't pull one over ours yeah it is one of those stereotypically hard names to pronounce yes ben hardy (laughs) Yes, I, I was looking at unabridged. I thought that was might have been what I should. <laughs> you, you know, guys, where I, where I grew up in Maine, like Mainers curse like nobody else, right? Really? And the spacer for when you're thinking is everybody says, "Yeah." And then I was uh, 
fucking and then they say like so that like so Larry if he was the main he would have been what's that guy's fucking Benjamin Hardy <laughs> dude men women everybody does that it's so I've never seen oh, yeah. anywhere else in the country yeah that's is, military is the same way like really? if you oh yeah if you hang in the military they use the f-bomb like it's it's a filler yep. it's a descriptor it's uh it's the core element of the conversation it can be <laughs> all of you yeah. I, I hear you bro. well we're looking forward to the book my filler got abused and abused and uh thrown up and down so i appreciate you guys for calling me out but we're going to default to you, Brandon, for the thesis of the book, the intro, and give us an idea of what this was your book and your idea. So yeah. why don't you tell us what the listeners what it's all about today? Yeah, you bet. So, okay. So book is uh, the who, not how. And the, the, the key area basically is shifting or key concept is shifting our mindset with the way that we look at developing a team, deploying our resources, investing in people to ensure that we ultimately kind of experience like the the big picture goals that we have and and getting out from this mindset where it all is on us we have to be the best we have to be the smartest we have to be the ones in control and and it really flips a lot of those concepts on their head so here's a here's a, a little chat gpt summary example for you so instead of asking how can i do this ask who can do this for me the shift in mindset can lead to more effective delegation, collaboration, faster achievement of objectives. And it's interesting um, as we go, I, I think it'll show in our conversation is the, the most interesting thing about this for me was the idea of just shifting literally the way that we consider how we're spending our money into our businesses. And, and you know, so much of us approach the, the, cost if you will of our team as a cost and we're looking at it like purely from this direct roy right like i'm gonna this is gonna cost me i gotta spend this instead of looking at i'm investing in this to create a specific outcome anyway so i don't i don't want to go too off but i i think that's the part that i hung on to and i'm most excited i think uh, to talk about both of our businesses obviously are um, this was very relevant probably to both to both of our teams in a lot of ways yeah yeah and for me just more on kind of that the perspective or that that main thesis it it really made me think about desperation brain which is something we talk a lot about you know with the business owners and leaders is you know that i have to find somebody to do x you know that that mindset like we think we do this with technicians we do and we also unfortunately it causes us to keep people that that can't do x because at least they can show up and carry equipment right it's like it's we're, we're desperation brain is really predicated on people doing a specific thing for the business whereas it, it which leads to a ton of bad outcomes we keep people on that we shouldn't we hire people that really aren't going to be awesome, but they can kind of do the work. And so therefore we slot them in so that they can do the thing. And I think what this book was showing is what if we focused on hiring the kind of people that we really want to have in the business that can be through a force multiplier that they can, it's not, they can't not only just do the tasking, but they can bring their creativity, their passion, 
kind of who they are to the role and the company benefits from all of that versus just their capacity to do the thing yeah. or the current tasking. And the idea being that the current tasking we've identified for the team, the individual, the priorities and all this stuff, somebody, the right person may come in and say, well, God, there's a way better way for us to do this more efficiently, get better results, right? That's that's what we really want to be hunting for is the person that could come in and transform the role or transform the business that we currently have rather than trying to maintain or find people to plug into the existing business. Yeah. Like low cost, it, right? What's the maximum I can get back for the the least amount of spend versus to, to fuel the machine I have today? I feel like that was one of the main messages of the book is don't think about putting bolting on the factory parts for the engine that you have today. It's like what parts or what computer modules or turbos can can we add into the machine that make it a whole new different machine that make it a much you know what I mean turns that that Honda Accord into a race car like who can I hire to make that switch you know yeah yeah thanks spot on it, it's interesting it made me think Chris like I've read several books on Steve Jobs and, and I find him a fascinating human yeah and um if one of the the constant mantras that he had in his business life was i have to have the best people like i don't want any duds i don't want any marginal people in this company a players hate working with b c and d players i need to fill a building with a players like i think of of anyone you know in the public sphere that i could think of he spoke about that more than anybody else and and to me i was thinking about him a lot while I was reading this book because he obviously thought differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll use, can I use a quick example of what Chris just said about force multiplier? So I have a coaching client who has a very large plumbing company and he's starting restoration. I'm kind of helping him get that off the ground. We were talking yesterday and he just hired from another company, a sales rep who the guy's, Take home pay apparently was like 800 grand last year at his last company, right? So, that I mean, this is we're talking Rainmaker, what? Right? Yeah, yeah. So, my yeah. guy brings him in and he's super nervous about it because he's like, Look, man, anybody like that's gonna have a huge ego. This is potentially a, a management nightmare for, for yeah. me, right? Yeah. So, he's got these fears around this. And this is a person who's not a fearful individual whatsoever. I mean, to, to scale on his level and. The first week there, he sold a quarter million. You serious? So what he did was, so my guy went back. He's a data geek. He goes into Service Titan, pulls that guy out, starts tracking everybody, all the other 80 plumbers out, right? Because they're having a daily sales meeting. And his average ticket last week, because these guys are seeing this guy coming in, like just sold $75,000 job, just sold $50,000 job. $200 increase across the board for everybody else other than him. Because now, like Chris used the term force multiplier, Uh, he's this guy's who on the public side, right? All of a sudden, these guys are getting nervous. So these guys are going, I need to be better. Like, so he overcame his fear of hiring a person like that. Mm. Look what it's already doing in one week. That's awesome. Unbelievable. And then he he said to me, he goes, I think I work for him now. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and to be honest, a little bit, right? Like, so, cause he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, I think your job is to keep him happy. Yeah. That's yeah. your new role with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's any leadership role as well. Keep your whole team moving along. Back to, I don't want to get really too far cool. off topic, but that goes exactly what Chris just said to me. Yeah. That, that example. Yeah. Yeah, it's super relevant. It's interesting. I I think in general, and and we can kind of get back into a, a bit of a, a rhythm here, but I think in general, that was my biggest takeaway is just becoming more um confident in identifying what it is that I feel I do the best. Like what is it specifically in terms of competency, skill set, perspective that I can offer the most to my personal and professional strategy. Right, those big picture goals. Where are we going? How are we going to get there? If if I can just keep getting more and more clarity around what what's my area of genius, if you will, like what is that thing, and and just be like a monster at identifying. Then how do I get these other things accomplished? Who's better suited yeah. to do these things? And it totally reshapes the business. Like for us, I think Chris and I have lived in that this year a lot. And the book just kind of helped affirm for us those moves like this is the right stuff because sometimes you just question yourself right because you don't know like it takes time sometimes to see the well outcome. and it takes money i yeah. mean you know i i would imagine that that eight hundred thousand dollar guy i mean i don't know but i would expect he's probably got a two hundred thousand dollar base you know a guy like that's not gonna you know what i mean he's not showing up to to uh to work for 60 grand you know and and uh, it, it, obviously context you know but um but I think it does require an upfront investment. Yeah. I think to to grow your business this way, and that can be scary. Um, but but I think too, you know the the fear of letting go um, is is a big deal for a lot of business owners. Like this past week, we've been we've been talking, trying to process through with one of our business owners who's just been stuck because. They their who problems are they've got a lot of toxic people on their team right now, and it makes it very difficult. This is interesting. I didn't plan on going here, but I, it, I think it's really interesting. In order to hire the right who's, you got you got to get rid of the wrong who's first. Yeah, because what good who is going to want to come into a rotten whoville? That's exactly That's right. right. I think a lot of people that are having trouble recruiting right now. They underestimate the impact of having the wrong who's on the team. And and they think, well, well, that guy or that gal's not, they're not going to see or hear about that stuff while we're interviewing. No, 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 no. When you got the wrong who's on your team, your interviewer, your department heads, every person feels it. And it takes away from that esprit de corps, that confidence, that excitement about the brand, about the team. And no one is as eager to bring people onto the team when they know it's a shit show and that person's just going to be disappointed they're they're going to they're going to feel out of their element when they start meeting those bad players that they've allowed to stay on the team everybody in, it's like we know it we don't talk about it it's not something we're consciously thinking but the impact to the culture of keeping those people on cuz we're afraid prevents us from bringing the right who's in cuz they don't want to be around that shit you know what i mean they won't take the job. Yeah. No, they won't. Or if they get in, they'll turn over. They'll be like, oh my God, what did I just get myself into? Yeah. It's Let's the same laugh. exact opposite of the example you were just saying. To rise everybody up, 
you do this, you can do the opposite just as easily if you're not as aware and conscious to manage the people that you've got there. Yeah, hundred percent. Actually, it's easier to go that direction. <laughs> it's easier yeah. for the, the ship to start. So, is the time. owner afraid to retract for for the greater oh. good? That the owner is just, you know, really, really needs to relinquish CEO control to somebody else. He's got a big heart, you know. He's got a big heart, and and I think just struggles to doesn't want to be the bad guy. Oh, you know, gosh, they've been with me for seven years. We went through some hard stuff four years ago and they they hung in there and they they stayed work they they continued cashing my paychecks. I I owe it to them. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but just that a, a big heart, but doesn't want to to be the bad guy. You know? It's hard to scale that. Really hard. Big time. Big time. Yep. All right. Well, should we get in our own baggage? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. And because you opened the door, Eric, I think you got to lead us out. Yeah. What are you yeah, thinking? I, I will. Sure. Um, well, I was thinking a lot about you guys, actually, when when I was reading the book, because you have added a few people this year. And 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 I think those were from at least the outside looking in really good moves and yeah. and potentially really going to help you grow. And you know, meanwhile, I looked at Larry and I, and and you know, we haven't done that, but we're in the process of doing that in different ways. Like, I, I think for us, look, the reason I'm so I've been sick, like massively sick, two times this year. The previous like five years, I was hardly sick at all. Right? I have literally worked myself to the bone, yeah. and um. And you guys know, as a coach, you are also, you are taking in everybody's stress and problems all day long. Yeah. And that there's no getting around that that has a massive effect on you personally and your health. And, you know, I mean, we've laughed about it. You guys laugh at me and think I'm insane. I just go boom, 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 like nine to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, 12 to one, one to two, two to three. I mean, I do that every day. And I mean, I'm not saying I have no breaks, but it's like the way I have structured this whole thing, I don't have any, I don't have a who, I'm the who, right? And and when I go down, it, it's just not, it's not scalable. And yeah. we didn't actually start doing this on purpose any, anyway, right? And look, I, I gain great value. I love my coaching clients. Like I really want them to be successful, but not at the expense of my own business and my own health. Yeah, so that's huge right there. One of the things that Larry and I are doing business planning for the next month is we have to figure that out. So that was really on top of my because, dude, I'm reading this flat on my back in bed. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. like you know, I I had scheduled a vacation because I was so burned out. It's the first time I had taken off since Christmas, and one day in, I'm I'm sick as a, as soon as the, the adrenaline went down. Boom. Yeah. I'm flat on my back. And and I'm and I, I knew why. Did you notice that at the start of almost every chapter in this book, it started with an owner being like super ill? Did you did you notice yeah. that? Yeah, that's true, actually. Yep. Probably hit me yeah, harder than you guys. <laughs> but yeah, every every chapter started with a story of an owner who, you know, had either fallen off a roof and <laughs> tragically hurt themselves or they were sick. Yeah. And Look, it's that's a real thing. Mm. 
That's what hit me the most. And I think for Larry and I, guys, no, I'll let Larry chime in after this. It's like for us, at least, I think in the next year, because you can you can find who's either internally or externally. I think for us and the thing that we really are pushing more, which is the video training and all that, like that's in in our mind, our core business. It's having a lot more external who's right. Like you said, uh, Chris, paying for that, right. Coming off the road, not being on so many trade shows, not, not expending so much on flights and hotels and food and trade show booths and saying, well, you know, let's pick a couple trade shows a year, do those, and then reallocate that money to find our who's in in digital marketing, in video editing and all these, and and even could be in sales, you know, having people work the phones. Um, That's how I see it. I don't know, Larry. uh, I mean, Larry and I haven't fully had this conversation. We're kind of having it on, on air. (laughs) No, we're walking the walk as coaches being the who we want to be the who, but we have to reciprocate by not doing the how ourselves. We have to keep reaching out finding people do the who, just like you were saying, yeah. I mean, who can we do externally or hire internally just to make, get things accomplished. And I'm the biggest person doing the how on a regular basis. So this was just hitting me right in the face. Yeah. And then when we talk to people like, you know, you got to reach out to, you know, talk to the experts and specialize and put them on the right seat in the bus. And what you were saying, Chris was the right seat on the bus, put the people in the right seat on the bus. So everybody's effective. So everybody can make, the most amount of productivity, money, progress, whatever you're measuring, those KPIs, if you specialize and focus on it, in the long run, you're going to have the most ROI on that. And that's what I took out of it. I'm probably the most guilty, I'm sure, out of the four of us. We're doing more how than who. But I enjoy the who more than anything. Mm. Because my high eye... I want to interact with everybody, make things happen and collaborate. That's all I want to do. When you sent this book out, I was like, oh, people. They're not going to be talking. You know, you saw that text. I'm like, yes. I was all excited. And I was like listening to it because I listened to the whole thing. And I was like, oh, I was getting kicked all over the place. Yeah. Same. Same. Hey everyone, Eric here with Blue Collar Nation Podcast, and I would just like to take a moment to talk about my favorite magazine for the cleaning and restoration industry, and that is CNR Magazine. I've been a longtime reader of CNR Magazine, and now my good friend Michelle Blevins has purchased that magazine and is growing it at an amazing rate. So if you're in the cleaning and restoration industry, you will be excited to hear that not only can you get CNR Magazine digitally, but you can also get it for free in print form, actual paper where you get to sit on your couch and read it, which if you're my age, that's appealing. So all you have to do is go to cnrmagazine.com and that's C-A-N-D-R magazine.com to get your free subscription and it's even in print. So if you want to stay on top of what's going on in the cleaning and restoration industry and here, you know, get to see a lot of cool articles by a lot of very smart people, go to candrmagazine.com. I, I think the part, one of the parts that stuck out to me, you know, when, when he's going through essentially like what you get in return, right. By, 
by being focused on the who, these things that you get back. And he talks about like freedom of time, freedom of, you know, finance, yeah. freedom of all these different elements. And and I think the part that that I was kind of connecting with, and, I, and again, everybody's business is just like anybody listening or on some part of their journey, right? Small, large, medium, midterm, whatever. Our business is obviously in a in a in a early it's earlier phases, and as it's as it's changing shape, I keep finding myself um, almost getting loose with my strategy. Like it's easy for me to get pulled off the strategy, but when I as I'm reading this book, as I'm listening to these core concepts, I'm like, no, wait a minute, like holding that that strategy holding on to that path that you originally kind of outlined for yourself when you were dreaming in quotes like what you wanted what you wanted the business to feel like all those things it's easier to stay in that place when you're looking at how am i going to invest in the people to help me bring that dream to fruition instead of it just being this pounding pressure that you keep placing on your own shoulders to be all those specialists and it, i think sometimes when we say this stuff out loud everybody's like yeah duh but but we're all living in it, though. We it's like we it's know, but we don't experience it. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I think one of the one of the mindsets that's tough for a lot of business owners to get out of, certainly for me, and we we both talked about this, is you have this instinct to be really Spartan. You know, a lot of times when you're first getting the business, you have to be Spartan. You don't. Yeah, like yeah, a lot of word. us. That's great. Yeah. We didn't start our we didn't start our businesses with a war chest of capital, where we can just spend, spend, spend until the money starts rolling in. So you learn how to be Spartan. You learn how to work out of a shitty office space or a you know a storage shop for a while, right? It's like everybody who's listening to this has, has some version of that story, or most people do. We're still in it, but yeah, yeah, but there comes a point. Yeah, we're still in it, but but there comes a point where, yeah, is it Spartan to still you know? have your all your drinks and stuff in a little crummy dorm fridge and you got you know shitty secondhand desks sure but where you have to start to flip that is in the people you're hiring and I, this makes me think of um a video a rando and I'm not actually uh, I'm not a huge follower of Grant Cardone and yeah. and his stuff but uh I recall this video that he put out and he was talking about hiring people and he said Pay people as much as you possibly can. And of course, it's a little bit of hyperbole there, right? Because he's a showman. But yeah. but I thought about that a lot. And it's like, no, there is there, there is wisdom in that. If you've if you've clearly identified sort of what what that who is and and what their impact and their role is in the business, pay them as much as you can. To get the most quality and the most engagement out of that person, that's what he went on to say. It's like, let's not let's not mince words. Like, money is a chief money in financial security is a chief motivator for people, and you got to be willing to pay up for the best product you can find in order to take your business where you want it to go to create the best business you can build. It, and it's a, there's such a direct connection there, and I think we forget that. I've made this mistake so many times as I've been growing little small businesses that I've owned. And my mindset is, how can I get a deal? Like, how can I find that that diamond in the rough, you know, that I can I can pay them 50 grand but get a hundred thousand worth of production out of them? Yeah. I think that's a lot of times as as we're young in our business, or even as we continue to grow, we still see this in some clients that that are 20 years in and being very successful, they still have that mindset. It's like, oh my God, what would happen? 
if instead you started hunting for the best person and you found a way to pay them? Yeah, that's a. I think that that piece of context is really important, right? Where you're not saying to overspend, to overspend, no, or no. or to provide people big uh, incomes because it flexes the ego. It's instead of trying to get something for cheap, which causes you to search the wrong way. Yeah, flip that on its head and go find the person, and then create a strategy to be able to afford them. But yeah, like don't discount the role. Don't. Don't trim away at the at the job description and scope of work. Find that person and then figure out a way to pay them what you need to, yeah. you know, to bring I have them a, in. I have a coaching client. I'm sorry, Larry, real quick. I have a coaching client that he uh, has a restoration business. It's kind of it's in its infancy. He had been a carpet cleaner for a long time. And uh, we're, we're starting to work together. You know, he has some big goals. And... I start asking, you know, okay, who works there? And, you know, and then I get to the point. So what are you paying that person? And all of a sudden he's like ripping off 35 an hour, 40 an hour. And I'm just like, uh, dude, you realize that's like double the going rate, right? <laughs> like, I don't know how you're doing this. And, you know, he had a really interesting take on it. He's like, Eric, I know right now this isn't good for me. Like, I know this hurts me financially. He goes, but these guys will help me scale and then I can put lower like priced helpers underneath yeah. them. But I need four or five people right now to just supercharge me up and yes. then I'll figure it out. And, you know, there's the, the bean counterpart of me is like twitching in my seat going, I got it. But I've noticed in the time that I've been working with them, I mean, dude, the guys that he has is like a technician or what yeah. project managers are at most companies. Yeah. Right. And yeah. when we are working together, he has none of the encumbrances that the average person has because all of his guys are out there killing it. Like, here. like, so time will tell how that plays out. Yeah. But you know what, man? I think that's his own genius. Yeah. Because he doesn't have any friction from them because they are making so much. Everything is like kind of Chris said earlier, they're all a players and they're all working towards a goal of blowing this thing up. Yeah, I think, dude, that's a really great example. I mean, it, it literally, uh, we've had some similar conversations with some folks because again, like that's one of the beauties of being a consultant is that you meet all these different entrepreneurs trying to make a go at it in all these different ways. Yeah. And we, and we certainly as a group can identify some of those core elements that, that are universal, that just work and they're foundational and we can implement them, we can do them, but there's always going to be a lot of different ways to deploy some of those systems and processes. And I think that's a perfect example. And we're talking to another couple groups where they're experimenting with how high they can go and what they pay their technicians. And I think you hit something really specific there. And that is, don't keep paying higher and higher wages for part-time give-a-shit people. That's not what we're saying because you just lose. Right. But if I grab somebody that at 24 bucks an hour, there was no prayer in hell that they would come join my team or do the hard-ass nasty work that we do, but I could pay them 35 and they will come do it with a smile on their face and help me implement process to make it better and more efficient. And they're going to move with a sense of purpose. My gut says that job will be done at a higher margin. Maybe we spent more in our margin on labor, but did now instead of placing 
70% of the equipment the job could have handled. What if we're placing 105, right? Instead of uh, being on the job an extra day because we bullshitted and took too long, we we cut six hours off the production, uh, demo production of that product. Like my gut says, if we're deploying high caliber people, even at a rate that kind of makes us nervous, I, I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but, but Brandon tells me it shakes out on the PL. Well, you know? here, here we go. His PL looks as good, if not better, than most companies. There you go. Yep. There you go. Yeah, which right. I think the principle, right, is. If you're going to overextend yourself, overextend yourself on the people and stay Spartan with your GNA. Yeah. Yeah. yeah anything else. Better, better to have trucks that don't look quite as nice and the best people in town, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, you have to walk the walk. And that's what the whole thing is. If you want to make a bundle, you got to pay people to get you there. If you want to make a lot of money, you can't just skirt on all these different things and it's going to be a problem. And what he was, he was saying you're going to have hope on um, what you guys are saying right now. All the money you're going to save from less problems and more productivity are going to make a difference in your cost of goods sold on each job, just like you were talking about. It's going to be huge. And well, what Dan and was saying is, I can specialize. Yep, exactly. Go ahead. That's it, Larry. And it's like, where, what then happens to the business because the owner, instead of spending 85% of their week cycling through the same lost energy bullshit, if every yeah. week there was legitimate progression downfield because that's all they were thinking about like their the majority of their time was spent on what's next what's the next strategy what's the next tier what's the next relationship what's the next role i need to invest in to continue this pace like when owners can stay in that lane that's where you watch a company go from 3 million to like 25 in just a few years guys i can't begin to convey to you just how transformational the three hires we've made this year oh. have been to floodlight it's and it's picking up pace and it just and it's it is growing in pace like i'm i'm sitting with our our vp of sales that we hired and the level of expertise and ingenuity and creativity that he's bringing with things like chat gpt and creating back-end funnels and ways of us organizing and automating and and developing our process and our outreach and the systems and like it it is it it's just it's nothing I would have ever been able to put together myself, and 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 we didn't even much of it. We're not even asking for directly. Like they're bringing that ingenuity to us without us even prompting it. And then you know it's like oh my god, we made the right. Yeah, we've just had we've had these these moments of affirmation over and over again. We're like oh my gosh, we hired the right people. Oh my goodness, this is incredible, and that's what happens, you know. Well, and it's mutual, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, our our team members, if we if we hire the best and and again, we find the people and then we find a way to compensate them, right? In a way that's a win-win. Like we figure it out. We've done that. And our people ultimately now as as Chris and I get closer and closer to sitting in the right seat ourselves, then we all benefit right because they're doing the things that they're just engineered better to do naturally chris and i aren't fumble fucking around with these half ass attempts to get some of this stuff put into place because we're not designed well for it right. and now we get to really dial in on what are we doing next what event are we going to what what group do we need to sit down with and spend time and energy with to figure out a win win like where are we going as a business and all of a sudden it's like you it's that whole concept around the flywheel right it's like the idea is 
We're going to reinvest in the people. It's going to take a little while for them to get their legs under them and start to be able to benefit and take control of that position. But then as they do that, that flywheel comes up over the top band and boom, then then all of a sudden that momentum starts to get behind it. And, and then it's like, watch out. And we're literally sitting on the precipice of that as an organization because we've we've gone through that hard foundational part where we get the first pillar people on the team so that we can begin to recognize and live out you know that that momentum but it's real like it's scary as shit the whole time that you're doing it but it is real if you can commit to the concept it does that's what the whole book is talking about because you guys aren't doing all the tasks you're not doing the how at all all you got the who people doing the how but like you said you said it's it's scary taking that step and throwing all that you know you're just throwing it out there hoping that it'll work doing all the things it sounds like you guys found key players the who's that are going to help you get to the next level and the listeners are thinking the same thing okay i can probably do the same thing and eric and i are thinking the same thing as well and we're all going to be thinking it. I mean, the guys there in the book, he has all these people working for him, Dan, and he's constantly thinking. It's like a lifelong shift in thinking, like you were saying initially, shift in your mindset. Yep. And but we're all bringing up examples. Thinking. It's moving from thinking to doing. Yeah. It's where yeah. most people fail. Yeah. Mm. All of us included. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fair. Right. How many, how many times have we had conversations? You know who I just need? I wish I could find. Man, if I only had, right? But it doesn't <laughs> translate into a focused effort, right? Where you it's always like when I hear somebody say like, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, uh, what are you working on? I'm trying to get in shape. Oh, well, then you're not fucking getting in shape because you already told me you're just trying. Yeah. Yeah. Opposed to, hey, I'm training this many hours a week and I've dedicated this much resource. Like then that you're like, that person's going to make it. <laughs> yeah, they're going <laughs> right. to do it. That's right. Yep. Yep. You know, it's like, it's almost, have you guys ever noticed that some of like a lot of the best entrepreneurs, look, they're, they're, a lot of them are not balanced people. <laughs> like They just go all in, like sometimes to their detriment, but like the ones who seem to really do well, they just burn the boat, man. Like they yeah. just burn the boat and they go and they're yeah. going to make a decision and they, they actually implement it. You know, yep. I mean, even it, even when it's not perfect, yeah, they just do. They just like to get into it. Let's figure it out. Yeah, I mean, Howard Partridge, who was our mentor, wrote a book called Failure to Implement. Great book because you know his thesis of this book was most entrepreneurs don't ever get where they want to go strictly because they don't implement what they already know they need to do. Yeah, it's very true. So true. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing is like, as people are listening to this, you know, like this broad stroke uh, idea of hire the right people and let them do what they're good at. Like everybody can hear that from a, you know, kind of surface level and go, well, yeah, duh. I think also when you read a book like this, you're getting all the examples of where it worked out, right? Well, they were stressed. They were XYZ. They hired this person. They were so brilliant. They did this. And all of a sudden their business was brand new and everything was hunky dory. And that does happen. But I think the reminder here is, and it's going back to your effort comment, Eric, is don't be afraid to be comfortable with the fact your first couple tries might absolutely blow up in your face. Mm. Right? Like we had examples of that too. Yeah. 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 In the book, it was just 
doesn't work sometimes. It's perfect. It's it's not always going to be, you know, we make mistakes. We read the person wrong. We even though we've done everything we can to build some kind of mutual relationship and learn about them before we make that decision and that commitment, I I think that we're still going to make mistakes and we just need to realize that that investment was still worth it. It was still worth the time and effort keep going, right? Like and it, we had a we have a client right now that is in the midst of of doing some some restructuring of their organization and they're looking for some additional key leaders to bring into a really strong group. They've got foundational capacity at the top tier in the organization. They need some some higher level competency in their department level leadership. And so, you know, they're frustrated because they've been trying to fill one of those seats for a long time and it's like they think they have the right person. We were even duped recently on one of them where we're like, okay, this person's going to crush. And they've been wrong, man. It, they were mishires three times in a row. And that team is so disgruntled and frustrated. But it's like, you guys have to keep going because not having this role filled is not the option. Like That's a non-negotiable. So keep going the and, and putting in the paces on that fight. So I think, I think a reminder for me is our next hire might be a total fucking bomb. We don't, we're going to do the best we can to prevent that. But it could happen, and 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 we can't all of a sudden then lose the momentum or the prioritization of finding that right person, right? Um, so, anyways, that's I, 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 I that's some, been something on my shoulders, I think, from this. I have a little insight, I think, to add to that. So, for Howard Partridge's group, I I have led a kind of a mastermind called Get Off the Truck for. Yeah home service guys who are owner operators and who want to scale. Yep. So I, uh, it, it just recently we stopped doing it. It did it for about a year and a half. And the interesting thing, Brandon, it goes exactly what you said that the, the point where the guy would have to go and hire a helper was the sticky point. And it wasn't, I don't, after having done that class for once a week for like over a year, they, the, the sticking point was their fear of hiring the wrong one. Yes. Right. They're like, well, what if I hire the wrong one? And I'm like, well, then you fire the motherfucker and you get a new one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like to me, sure. that's just like normal, like behavior. Right. Like, I mean, we're going to try to train them, but if they're not the right person, they're not the right person. And then, but to them, that was failure. Yeah. Right. right. And like, and, and look, a couple of them had said they had tried to do that and then went years back on the truck by themselves because they're like, well, this isn't for me. Yep. And I was like, dude, if you know how many bad helpers we hired and fired and, you know, it's like we had guys we'd hire that we thought were going to be really good, just like you said, Brandon, and we'd get them out in the field and it would be like Nightmareville, like yep. immediately. And uh, Larry and I did, we we were trying to get a manager, like a the general manager, we, we interviewed a guy four times. I mean, long form interviews. We thought that this guy, he interviewed really, really well. I went on vacation his first day. Larry called me at noon the first day and went, this guy's not going to make it. Oh, I, was, I was like, what? And then he just like started going into like some of this guy's behaviors, like right. Like, and it's like, well, who's that person? Because we didn't see that person in any of those four interviews. He was just a master at interviewing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it's not like we shut the company down and said, oh, well, well there'll never be a general manager. Like we just, right. went, okay, well, I guess this is not going to work out with this person. We need to keep going. 
you know, it's it, that's kind of an interesting. It's an interesting zone, right? Like I, I feel like over the years I've become more um, confident in in making decisions like that, where you just like, yeah, we were wrong. Like this is the wrong move. Let's let's go. Let's get it over with. Let's let's move on and get the seat emptied and open it up. But I don't even in our business, like us personally, we don't get faced with that lot. You know, I don't. I'm not hiring techs. I don't. I don't have 30 people on the ground. You know that I have to worry about, and so it's the context is is certainly not as as robust as somebody that's hiring and firing technicians on a regular basis. But but you used to do that. Oh yeah, yeah, and and I think I, I think where I was going with this is there's something that we've slipped into. Oh. Actually, I think you and I were talking about this yesterday yeah. where we're in a hurry, right? Like, like there's this pressure. It's hard to hire. So we, most of our teams have holes. Um, and then on top of that, there's this pressure coming from recruiting companies and stuff. Like once that process starts, move, 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 get them on the team as quickly as possible because they might go somewhere else. And I agree with that if it's a matter of us not following up with communication or taking too long to respond or scheduling a follow-up. like I see all of that as being the wrong move and it's going to cost you. But I think we do have to not then allow that to slip in the into the cadence at which we're asking these people to come spend time with us. Because if we're finding the right person, Chris talked about this yesterday was... They're interviewing us as much as we should be interviewing them. And if we're honest about it at the very beginning, like, look, hiring decisions for our organization are really important to us. We take it seriously and we do not want to be in a hurry. If you feel like you need a decision from us in a very short period of time because of your personal circumstances, let us know and we might be identifying it's not the right fit already. And that sounds scary as fuck to anybody trying to hire right now. But think about the quality of person that says, I respect what you just said to me, and I want to go that those steps with you. Yeah. Like you're already identifying, well, on a caliber level, we might be talking to the right damn person here. Now, I don't think we need to do four interviews for our frontline tech positions, but man, pro- project managers, estimators, some of these co- sales GFCs, coordinators, salespeople, like, dude, A, if they're the right people, they already have a job that's probably paying them pretty damn well. Yep. And the only reason they're going to think about another team is that culturally, something is dynamically different with your organization right. than where they currently are. Well, one of the first places to start figuring that out is, are they battle patient enough to ride or die with you a few times so that you can get a fucking chance to learn about each other? Like, If we can't do that, we probably are off on the wrong launch already. I, I don't know. It's it's opinion, right? It's yeah, not- if it's one of those people that are the strong people that you're going to want to pay good money to, or they're going to be on the right seat on the bus, if they're going to want to jump in real quick and want to rush, rush, that's a big red flag that they're Ooh. not the right people to be coming along. Yeah. And you're going to want somebody that's going to want to... I mean, it's all a pace thing. Everybody has a different pace. But if you explain it and you're direct up front about it, and you're you're accountability what you've got going on. That's just like he was talking about in the book. If you're straightforward, upfront, it just goes a long way. What you're saying is right. Hey, I have a big announcement to make today about uh, our company, Super Tech University. We have started an affiliate program. 
And we have started an affiliate program that may, may be a little different than than affiliate programs that you've heard about or seen in the past. And we, I don't even like the word affiliate, right? I, I like the word partner. And we really want partners. We, we're not a transaction-based type of company. We're a relationship company. Uh, both Larry and I are wired that way. So we want partners. And, and to prove that point, we are doing a 50% revenue split on every sale, right? So uh, somebody joins SuperTech University, our affiliate would get half the revenue. They're sharing it with us. So it's in our best interest to make sure that the product's good. And then that person stays for a long time because they're gonna get 50% every single month, not just for a month or two. You know, we're, we're in it for the long haul together. So if you are interested in possibly becoming an affiliate with SuperTech University, please reach out to me via email. That's Eric, E-R-I-C, at supertechu.com. That's E-R-I-C at S-U-P-E-R-T-E-C-H, the letter U.com. Well, and I think too, we've talked to some teams that prioritize introductions to the spouse or partner. And and there's an interesting dynamic that happens when you share a meal and and hear and ask questions and directly reference that person as a person, right? And and it's like I I think some of the employers, if they're listening to this, they're going, dude, I don't have time to be meeting with people four you, times. You don't have time not to do that, dude. Mm-hmm. Say that again, yeah. right? I, I I Brandon, right now, I have a client hired a general manager. Guy had a shit ton of experience. I interviewed him for them. Amazing. They didn't do the dinner with the wife. And she expects him home at five o'clock every day. And now all of a sudden, this guy who's amazing in the restoration industry and is getting his phone blown up and they already have. They, they had replaced another guy with similar issues that ruined their culture for the technicians. And now they're going like. What do I do now? Yep. Ah, it's such a perfect example. Perfect example. But here's one other thing I wanted to, that, that jumped out at me in the book that, that I think maybe I've struggled with a little bit more than you just because of our just wiring. And if it's a struggle, probably. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I wrote down your, your term earlier. I'm in the process of doing a book on uh, Brandonisms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have some spagisms too. Go ahead. I, I had to write. Write that down. That's going in a in the chapter of uh, colorful language. All right. I think Eric and I could probably have a duel. Oh, this. it would probably you. be pretty fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good so, toilet reader. Yeah, but that's, that's a separate that episode. Is. That's a separate episode. <laughs> one one of the themes one of the themes was was ego and control that they talk about in this and and what gets in the way of us uh, developing more of a who focus and I have struggled with this. This idea when you're starting the business and you're the brand and you're the main talking head and you're the you're you're the one establishing the standards of what we're always going to do, what we're never going to do, and this is this is what we're about. I, I think the thing I've struggled with is I tend to over-index on the value of my personality in those sales conversations, in those customer service recovery, you know, um, uh, situations my my personal ability to match up with the customer and kind of the way I do things. 
That's been one of the biggest adjustments for me. And I can look back over my career when I owned a state farm agency, when I had a, a small retail business. That was kind of always a theme is no one else. And I know this is so stereotypical. is like classic e-myth story. No one's going to be able to do it as well as I can. Right. Or I think the the thing that that you and I've wrestled with, again, probably me more so, you've been more quick to be like, nah, dude, we're not that important or that, you know, is is the same with this business, with the podcast and everything else. It's like, will will the people we hire be able to kind of emulate or um will there be enough of a reflection of kind of who we are and the brand and how we conduct ourselves in our consulting? that we maintain kind of the essence of what floodlights about and what people have come to expect, you know, from head, heart and boots and floodlight and everything else. And that really worried me for a while, you know, but it, but it's interesting. I, I think the thing that surprised me a little bit is just how easily our team has reflected who we are, like, like how natural that is when you hire the right people, you know, like that, you know what I'm saying? But well, that was the hardest thing is, for me to let go. But the thing is, too, Chris, Floodlight could actually be better if it still has a lot of essences of a lot of other people. It doesn't have to be just 100%. you, right? Like, 110%. It doesn't mean that there's still not a, a through line with a lot of Chris, a yeah. lot of Brandon, but it doesn't mean that the whole vibe can't be slightly different, but maybe even better. Yeah. But it just, goes to show, it, it just goes to show, like how much my own ego has limited is, is put a ceiling on past businesses that I've had because well, nobody's going to quite say it the right way. They're not going to connect with people the same way I do. Da, 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 da. I just think back over the other businesses I've run or I've owned. And it's like, man, if I could have gotten a hold of this sooner, I even think about, I, I look back at, at employees and team members that I've had and hired in the past where they had so much more capacity and I was the lid on them because I refused to hand over certain roles uh, that they could have done better than me. If I'm honest, I thought... Well, you probably also, Chris, yeah. even if you didn't lose those employees, they just shut down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, I'll take my paycheck. Look, yeah. I saw that. I mean, Larry, I know this resonates with you. Uh, you know, I, people would kind of do, I watched them do that with Larry. He would interject and whatever, a lot of the same stuff you're talking about. And they would just like basically do the invisible throwing up of their hands and be like, yeah, great, dude, whatever fucking you want, I'll do it. It's stupid, but great. I'll do it. Yeah. And meanwhile, we're completely thwarting their talents. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and I'm they do it, not just Larry, yeah. Brandon, me. Chris. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm probably notorious for it. it and it's, it is. It's challenging because you, you want to provide pushback. You want to provide critical thinking, all the things. But it, it's just this really delicate balance between okay, but have I stopped allowing that person to to give it a try? Like, like, do I need to control some of these elements? I found myself doing this yesterday. We had a call with our consultants, and we were looking at some of the processes and stuff that the team's de uh, developing and. Oh, I just caught I was in my own head a lot of the conversation where I'm fighting. It's like I really 
feel like this input's important. And though the whole time I'm like, okay, but do you need to have input here? Do you need to say anything? Yeah. And it's, cha- it was, it's fucking hard. It's, it's, it's like a ping pong in your head. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I don't even, honestly, I'm reflecting on yesterday's conversation now and I'm like, yeah, there was probably plenty of shit in there. I just didn't need to say anything. Oh, that's true. Like yeah. the team's going to figure it out. Like it wasn't, I, I may have. Chris caught- is like, yeah, thank goodness. He didn't well, say well, no. Because I'm I'm dealing with the same. I think that is where we're at as a business. Is we're we're in that process of figuring out what does letting go look like with rad people, like with yeah. rad people. Because I've I've had this conscious thought too with with uh, with our team of like, okay, I may have a, a marginal disagreement with the way or the tone or the methodology or something. But but then if I hang long enough in that pocket, I realize it was just it was a non-issue. It was a not it was just a moot point. It was not even worth bringing up, and I'm thankful I didn't. So I'm I'm getting better at just being like, eh, I can leave that unsaid. Like yes. like yeah, you got to stay out of the box now. Yeah, because they're so damn smart. But I, but I think a lot of times I jump in before the other person has a chance to process and come up with a solution. Right. So. You know, I think to yeah. guys, we, we've kind of touched on startup mode a little bit today for both because we're both kind of really at the point where you're growing out of that, right? Mm-hmm. I think you guys are a bit ahead of us on that. But um, startup mode is supposed to be a very short period of time. <laughs> and the same skills that's, that make entrepreneurs good at startup mode are usually the same exact things that hold them back from reaching any type of scale. Yeah, yeah. Most owners have to either change or step aside and let somebody let let a big boy come in who's a manager mm-hmm. and, and go do that. And um, I think we're both like in the midst of that to a de- yeah. diff- to, in different ways, in different degrees. Yeah. But to that same thing, we did this already with the other businesses that we grew. So now we're learning the same problems again relearning them we're at a different level that the learning curve is shorter but we're still i don't know about me at least and eric too we're still having to go over similar hurdles oh yeah that's right i'm not i'm supposed to listen to these people oh i had service managers for a while i was supposed to listen to them oh yeah that's right now i gotta listen to these people too oh yeah yeah oh yeah 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 we're forever a work in process right Mm. well for us because so much of like what you guys are taking on internal who's we're in the process right now of taking on external who's vendor partners yep. who are integral are going to be integral to our success. Yeah. And we can no longer, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day after a meeting, we can no longer th- like the problem with vendor partners. A lot of times is like, well, it's my money. So I'm going to dictate what happens, right? You can't do that. You can't go into it with that mindset. You have to go into it where like I'm paying just like I'm paying somebody to work for me and I need to listen to them. That's yeah, a good point. I need I need just because we're spending money with you doesn't mean that like why the fuck are we hiring somebody who's supposed to be better at us than something and then telling them what to do because we somehow think we know better in something that we don't know shit about. Yeah, that's mm. huge. But we do it. Larry and I are guilty, very guilty of this. It's like, well, that's our money and we want you to do this. And they do the same thing as the employee. They go, all right, dude, it's your money. It's stupid. Yeah, I'll, I'll spend it for you. Sure. Yeah. You know, where it's like, I think Larry and I, and this is one of the things in our business planning is like, we have to take an entirely new approach to our vendor partners. Yeah. That's good. Do them Ooh, as 
team members. Yes. Yes. That's good. You know, it, it reminds me of that that whole, you know, 100% of zero is still zero. Mm. <laughs> you know, when you're, you're thinking about like external partners and, and, you know, more recently, I think for Chris and I, and, you know, this shows up in a lot of different, I think, thought patterns is, you know, we're still developing the long-term strategy, right? We're, we're There's all sorts of things about Chris and I's partnership and professional endeavors that there's sky's the limit. We have all sorts of things we're still exploring together and what we could and potentially go after or do. And one of the things I'm trying to be more open to is this idea that I don't need to have like majority control. I don't need to necessarily have majority ownership. There, like I'm trying in my own mind, trying. <laughs> uh, it's not a standard yet of of looking at opportunities and saying, "What if I wasn't in complete control? Is there still something powerful about this potential partnership or this cooperation between these two peoples, three peoples, whatever the thing is?" And I'm trying to get more open minded to. What do I want from this experience? Well, I want some financial freedom opportunities. I want some, you know, some um, displacement of liability and risk. I want some, you know, all the things. Okay. Well, can you get the same thing from that and not own the whole thing or not control the whole thing and 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 maybe not even be the driving influence over all the decisions that are made? And the answer a lot of the time is fuck yeah. So then it's like, I need to re-engineer my expectation and be more open to opportunities that don't put me in that same position that I'm in with some of my existing opportunities now where I feel like everything falls on Chris and I or everything falls on you know me in this certain lane or whatever the case may be. And it's like, holy shit, the opportunities that we could mm. take part in all of a sudden get really expansive. Not to the point where it's chasing shiny shit, but it's like, I could do more of what I want if I partnered in this way. You know what I mean? Yeah, there was a there was a sentence I underlined it in the book and I can I think it was in chapter 1 or 2 where he said learn to judge your progress by the number of collaborations you have in motion. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. And uh, I was like, shit, that's, that's really good. That's when you heavy. think of it in, in those terms, like who what new relationships, what new collaborations are we identifying in any given moment, you know? What what are the relationships of opportunity that we're we're stirring up and instigating. Uh, that's that's an interesting way of looking at things, you know. Yeah, very much so. You know, one of the things that really struck me is I was uh, I don't know what it's the truth about procrastination, how to kill it. That chapter, but I was reading the chapter takeaways in the end, and I noticed that like I actually wrote in the book, which I rarely do, but there's like this cascading effect, right? So it says leadership involves being clear and explicit about the vision, right? Mm -hmm. So like for the four of us, that's our job, right? Or at least in part, right? As the, as the founders, principals, owners, like it might not be forever our job, but like for now, that's our job. We have to get very clear. This is exactly what we want. This is we how we want to do it. And then it says, it, it kind of cascades down to the impact filter is the one-page tool for defining the vision or goal and why it is so important. So having any, whether you use this or another planning yeah. tool to, to get to like, okay, well, let's hash this out. And then it cascades to asking who can help me achieve this. You know, like it, it's, I think usually our default is like, let's get a goal maybe not getting clear enough on that goal and then just saying 
what do I have to do to make this goal happen? Like that, I don't know about you guys, but for yeah. I think for Larry and I, that's our default. Like, hey, we have this idea. We want to do it. Yeah, we're going to set some maybe unclear goals around this. And then like, let's just divide tasks now. Yep. And well, more importantly, what sets that goal is most of the time a limitation of what I think I can and can't do. Right. Yeah. Right. So you you might you're gonna launch right out of the gate going for a target that may be only a, a mere fraction of a reflection of what it could be if you started by identifying just clearly what is it that I want to experience, succeed in, goal, whatever. Not what are my capabilities, yes. but what do I want? And then find people that have the capabilities. Yep. To yeah, that was all the crux of the book. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we will we will scale the goal mentally only to what we feel our capabilities are exactly mm. yeah exactly because we just can't imagine somebody else doing it with us or for us or right so. yeah i had a, i don't i can't remember where we started hearing this the first time but there was somebody in our sphere that would say you have not because you ask not and they said it all the time yeah and you know, I think I, Chris definitely it landed with him at some point. He's become more aggressive about asking it's just random people for random things. You know, this outreach to this person to see if they'll be on the show. That you know, what I mean, he's just gotten really diligent about like, screw it. You know, you have not because he asked not. Might as well ask. Yeah. And and I think what's interesting is in in context of this book, right? This whole idea of the who, not how is. It's I think there's this pattern of increasing the quality and the um, level of expectation you have with your ask as you do this more. So what I mean by that is, is that, you know, I, let's say I think of this thing that I want to do, you know, and then I look at it normally from this perspective of can Chris and I handle that? What, 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 what is it going to require for, from Chris and I in order for us to do this thing? And I think a lot of that is, is based on the fact that I'm afraid to ask someone else, right? Because I make assumptions on whether or not there's a win in it for them or that I bring enough value to the relationship or the partnership or mm. we do or whatever the case may be. And it's crazy because it's like, dude, when you just ask, I'm always surprised by how often somebody is willing to engage in the conversation because there's a little bit of a thought that they had as well Right. And it, but both parties are over here just making a ton of assumptions about what the other person's thinking instead of just coming up and saying, look, hey, I'm just going to toss this out here. I'm not pushing. I'm not, I'm not even saying it's a thing, but hey, what if? Have you ever thought about? I mean, shit, you guys and us, we've had conversations like that. Yeah. And I'm always blown away by how often people are like, yeah, screw it. Let's have a chat. We're not, nobody's committing to anything. Let's just ask some questions. And see where we can go with this. And holy hell, man, there's more partnerships, more cooperation waiting because the audience is thinking the same shit I am. They're, they're not asking. They're not bringing it up out of fear. And we both want the same thing. It's interesting you say that, Brandon, because I read this several years ago. I was reading like Forbes magazine one day. I was just sitting and reading in the backyard. Were and you in the I hair see- salon, Eric? Yeah. I still got all the hair. I, I, I'm the only one with hair left. <laughs> That's man standing. Let's get a perm. Um, so, I've already got the Irish afro. I don't, I don't need a perm anyway. Um, 
I'm sitting there reading and it said like something like, you know, how they have these like top 10 traits of billionaires or whatever. Right. So I'm reading this list and number one on the list, Brandon, was that people who tend to be you know, have reached billionaire status, their number one trait for their success is they leverage the value and experience of others in collaboration. Oh, man. They partner way more than the rest of us. They're always looking to partner. And I, that stuck with me. And, and, and look, I mean, you guys, I, I'm, I, as I'm aging, I'm opening to that. But yeah. like, you know, it's, it's just like, it's not my default. Yep. My default is to do. Yeah. Well, and I think it all comes back to that limited perspective of, you know, there's only so many pieces of the pie. Like yeah. just constantly looking at it from that perspective. I mean, I, I still just, mm. you know, I, I mean, kind of beaten an example to death, but you know, if the right group was out there, the right product, the right concept, and, and we felt like we could offer something special, you know, I think I need to be open to the fact, well, maybe 51% is not necessary. What if it was 25 and it's one of 10 things that we're doing in collaboration with really solid foundational people the return long term is going to be everything everybody wants, right? Like it's it's just this really uh, interesting limited perspective that I tend to start with by default. I, I think yeah, other, is that the ego, or is it just control that you want to have? I both. mean, your ego is part of it. Yeah, I think it's both. Right? Yeah. yeah, and I think I, I think another trait too is just that's required is open mindedness. You know, like I we 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 have this uh, buddy, a real estate buddy of mine that we met with who's young, very ambitious. And it's one of the things I've noticed when I talk to him about making money and investments. In fact, I had another conversation with him recently. He referred to making money as a game. And um, and he just went through a huge life change, divorce and all this kind of stuff. And so all of that's been kind of reorganized to some degree. And I asked how he was doing. He's like, you know, honestly, I'm kind of excited. He's like, I've had this massive change and movement in my balance sheet. And he said, I'm, I'm sort of excited to see how quickly I can rebuild it and get beyond where I was because he sees it as a game. And, and when you talk to him about opportunities he's looking at, he's, he's so dispassionate about um, uh, any of the details. It's just he's, he's looking at it through this open-minded lens of how could this work? How could this benefit me? How could I benefit them? He's 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 less dis, he's less passionate about his role in it, what percentage, all the things, and just looking at the opportunity as a whole and saying what's the best way to do this thing. And I think there's some wisdom in that. I think somehow it relates back to this. It's rather than seeing how we interact in that thing and what's my role in it. It's looking at it more globally and with more of an open mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I've referenced my friend that I cycle with that's so successful and he, you know, this probably hits to all four of us, but you know, we were talking about partnership one day and he was like, I will do 49% to 1%. I will do 51% to a hundred percent. I will not do 50, 50 because now I have to sit and like capitulate and, 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 you know, go through the whole process of decision-making is too slow. He's like, so in business, I either have to own very little and I just let it go. I make my investment and it will make me money or I control everything. 
right? So he like his whole thing was like, I have all these businesses where I own ten percent. Like I don't care. Like you know, passive, it's like passive investments. Yeah, and and you know, and his whole thing was like, if I'm going to own the company, I'm going to own the company. Like the, yeah. I'm going to get my share, right? So, but it's not so much about the fifty fifty partnership for me. It's more about he has all these companies that he owns a fraction of, and he's totally good with that. Yeah. 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 It's like, well, look he's at like, his I'm life. not on the board. I don't, you know, he's like, I just own small bits of lots of other businesses. And then he has obviously a couple of businesses that he owns outright. And, yeah. and to what Chris was saying, very just analytical about the whole thing. No emotion. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's yeah. power in it for certain. Yeah. Is. All right. Well, gents, I got we got to land the plane because I got a coaching call in six minutes. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, what do we? I'm, uh, I'm gonna go do a how. You're gonna go <laughs> execute on the how. Yeah. Okay. Well, do we want to wrap this one up? Do we want some summarization here, or do we need it? Man, I love it. was a great book. I enjoyed it totally. Sur- surround yourself. Again. Surround yourself, or or hire people that are better and smarter at you with the things that they need to be in and uh, go do what you're best at. Nothing yeah. more. There you go. Yeah. No, I think that's, that that's right on the dot, dude. So yeah. Uh, yeah the who, not how uh, read it, do yourself a favor. If you lead a team or building a business, read it. It's uh, it is, it's a pow- powerful book. It's, it's literally changing the way I look at just about everything in relationship to my journey. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, boys. All right, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you. We're out. Good deal. Later. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Nation podcast. For more information about Eric and Larry and Supertech University, please visit us at supertechu.com. That is supertechu, the letter U, dot com. <laughs>